three, two, one. Howdy! This is the Managing Expectations Podcast, a production of Pacific Century Media. I'm Jeff Winger. In the sidecar today, we've got Chris Levine. Hiya, Chris. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, great, fantastic. Uh, Managing Expectations is the podcast for folks who say, you know what? A B really is good enough. <laughs> Managing Expectations is our routine survey of interesting people and interesting things. Uh, we're going to look at the passing scene, talk about music, movies, books, whatever strikes our fancy. This probably isn't going to be your spot, though, for coronavirus prep. Uh, but Yeah, probably not. No, probably not. So... Yeah. Uh, with that, we're going to get started. Um, uh, maybe uh, just by way of introduction, Chris, tell us uh, a little something about yourself. I was actually going to release a hip hop album, and my name was going to be Coronavirus. Wouldn't that be hot? People, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty wicked. That's pretty street when you think about it. Yeah, you're really street, Chris. I'm. I am. I'm a scary guy. I'm a scary guy. So I'm I'm basically Southern California to the bone. Um, I I love music. I've played it. I've written about it, and that that's kind of my thing. So I think that we're gonna have a good time today. And we're gonna have a great time. Chris is one of my favorite people. He's so interesting. He takes to uh, 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 obscure uh, music. You know, the way a duck takes to water. Uh, however, he is new to the podcasting game. So if at some point in the uh, production, it sounds like he's talking through that Peter Frampton, do you feel like I do, that, that wah-wah thing. What's that thing called? Do you know? I think, I think it's a vocoder, but Voc I'm not sure. It, isn't, isn't that what little kids learn to play the rec in a recorder on in fifth grade? I no, I but that's that's that whole like uh, that 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 whole like uh, oh man, they used it in like funk music in the eighties too. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it was like everywhere. What is it? Oh man, who is that? I, I remember Joe Walsh using it. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's, it. it's big in Rocky Mountain Way. Yes, yes. Wow, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow, wow. I was thinking like I was thinking like more bounce to the ounce. Remember that? <laughs> I, I do not. I do not. Because uh, you'll have to check that out after the show. Even it's... though I joke about you living the thug life, the fact is you you are a lot uh, you're a lot hipper than I am. I doubt that. Yes, it's true. No. Uh, you're you're straight maybe, out of maybe Compton. 15, maybe fifteen years ago. You're you're straight out of Van Nuys. <laughs> I'm straight out of Simi Valley. <laughs> it's a pretty scary place. Uh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, talking with Chris Levine, ladies and gentlemen, is, is like, uh, me being a boy in the seventies, watching these magical television shows like emergency and Adam 12. <laughs> yes. It just transported me to a place where there were palm trees and everybody was cool. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah, Hawaii Five O, the the real one, the old one. The yeah, the, we don't. Of course, yeah. there's only one Hawaii Five O, and uh, yes. 
If yeah. Cam Fong's not in it, I'm I'm out. You know. Uh, and and Kono as as um, no, uh, what was his name? Uh, what? Well, no, I think his real name was Kono, and then he, he played Zulu, right? No. Was it Zulu? No, man, what was that guy's no. name? All right, it's okay, it's okay. This is wrong. Uh, it is. I'm. It's just wrong. I'm ashamed. Okay. Um. Oh, come on, because um, it's the guy that they uh, like with the with the stupid remake. Um, it was the the girl Grace Park played um, uh, the original. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. I I don't know. I don't know. Uh. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I. I am. Uh, we're choking here. As I. Uh, everybody. Everybody else who's been on the show is a lot faster with the. Uh, with the Google uh, than I am. Ah, um, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Um. Interesting. You know what? Um. Like last year, I rewatched uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales, the Clint Eastwood mm -hmm. uh, movie, and from the seventies, and it was uh, produced by Leonard Goldberg, who I'm sorry, <laughs> Leonard Freeman. <laughs> sorry, Levine. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's pretty much all the same. Leonard Schwartz, go on. <laughs> Sorry, uh, did you did you ever see uh, Bill Hader uh, doing Stefan? And he said, uh, "You know, you know the bit." Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. He said, um, "So he 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 says um, he's doing <laughs> Stefan, and he goes, um, do you uh, do, um, uh, you know how?" The Black Dracula is called Blackula, and then Seth Meyers is like, "Yeah." He says, "Did you hear about the the Jewish Dracula?" And Seth Meyers says, "No." He goes, "His name was Sidney Applebaum." <laughs> That's awesome. So we are off and running. Um, okay, so Danny Williams. Chinho Kelly and Streetwise Kono. Okay, so his name. So then, so maybe it was Zulu as Kono. But that's they, what I was thinking. I, I knew there was a Zulu in there somewhere. Maybe I got to tell you, Wikipedia is really letting me down, and I won't go to um, I won't go to uh, IMDb because uh, it's an Amazon company. You know. Uh, uh, I, hey, are you? Do you belong to Prime? Do you have a Prime account? My wife. My wife does, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's the same thing. Zulu was a Waikiki beach boy and local DJ when he was cast for the part of Kono, which he played for the next four years. You got it, man. So I just, we had, Zulu. honest to goodness, we had five minutes of just uh, downtime. We may have to cut this. I don't think that anybody has talked about that guy longer than we just have. I mean, really? <laughs> do you, like, how many conversations do you think that people have had about Zulu as Kono that have lasted like forty-five minutes, like when we just had? 
walking through the streets of Honolulu today. They're like yeah. two seventy-five-year-old locals. Yes, and they're like, ah, <laughs> Zulu is a great guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he he was no chin ho, but you know, that's what they were talking about. That's what they were talking about. Yeah. So, incidentally, Chris, Hawaii Five O, though magnificent, uh, is um, uh, based in Hawaii and not, in fact, Southern California. No, that's true. That's true. But that's true. but but that whole um, uh, man, everything was like sparkling and new. It was great, mm -hmm. and that and that's what captivated me. Uh, that is not the current state of things in. Um, Southern California, alas. No, not to my knowledge. Not to my knowledge. I I haven't lived there in almost 14 years now. Yeah. Which scares me to death, but it's true, you know? And and I've only been there, I think, twice in that time. Really? So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I go there for the people and for the weather and for pretty much everything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know otherwise re really happy to be where I'm at yeah well I don't mind where I am I don't mind where I am I, I like where I live I like Arlington Texas but I love California sure so no no, no. I, I think everybody does except um, I'll tell you in my day job I got a lot of people moving here saying we can't make a go of it in California anymore uh, if you didn't buy a house at a particular time, right? And, and look, I, I get it, man. Because twice in my life, I've lived places where the market was blowing up, and I thought I can't afford to stay here. Um, mm. And then, um, in retrospect, you, you. Well, actually, what I what I meant to say was. Um, I thought I can't afford to buy, and in mm -hmm. retrospect, uh, it it feels like I couldn't afford to not buy, because right. the house that's un unimaginably expensive now at a quarter of a million dollars is, mm -hmm. I mean, back then is four hundred eighty five now. I'm making, obviously, right. I'm making numbers up, but no, you know, well, I can I can I can speak to that I, when we when we moved. Uh, my family was in an 800-square-foot duplex. It was a little place, right? And the other half of the duplex went up for sale. We were renting that, by the way. So but the other half of the duplex went up for sale, and they got $500,000 for it. 800 square feet. We're not talking about by the water or anything like that. This is just a basic little suburb. So it's pretty expensive to live there. Yeah. It's pretty to live there. And, you know, we were just making it with two full-time jobs. So, not worth it. Yeah, yeah. No, and, you know, so people are coming in. in. Uh, you know, but as as that happens, I mean, there's, there's many pathologies, of course, that contribute to homelessness. But, I mean, good, goodness gracious. You, you hear people talking about, um, talking about the, the state of California today and... You know, it's like rats and, you know, the grunge and just like all sorts of like medieval maladies making a comeback uh, out of these enormous homeless encampments. 
Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's the thing about the thing about California, at least I'm talking southern California when I, for me. Sure. But but the thing about California for me is they always and you're going to think I'm being funny but I'm not. You can still laugh if you want to, but I'm not trying to be funny. Is they got the packaging right. No oh. matter where you are in most places, you have atmosphere. And so that aspect of being there, especially when you're a local and you know where to go and you know where not to go, you can pretty much be in a great place most of the time. Um, and so it's it's easy to kind of not see the reality of what's happening everywhere, you know. Um, but then again, I'm talking almost 15 years ago, so I, I don't know if it's still still to that still that dreamy. As it was when I remember being there, yeah. And I'm trying. I think I'm romanticizing it either. I I really felt that way. Well, and I could easily romanticize it because mm-hmm. I I mean I've only been there. Yeah, I've been there several times, but I've always had a ball. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't been there in a long time, but okay. So so like here's a story. So as a boy in Indiana, before we moved to Denver where I really uh, grew up uh, a friend of mine came back and he had like a placemat I don't know if it was like Howard Johnson's or something but it like had like all these like places to go in Southern California and and there were like the La Brea tar pits and I'm thinking to myself geez can you imagine the La Brea tar pits that sounded like so marvelous to me. Yeah, hey, hey. You know, I mean, it's funny. It's almost like when I lived in New York, I, I I didn't go to the Statue of Liberty, even though it was right there. You know, I I probably would go to places like that more now that I've been away from it. You know, but growing up, uh, there's a lot of places that are on the map that are kind of touristy that I I never saw. I never I never actually went to San Francisco. I I stayed in Southern California the whole time. Sure. I mean it's living there yeah yeah i never even visited you know which i kind of regret because i would like to but i just never did yeah you know one of the things okay so i lived for um three years one month and eight days in portland oregon you mm-hmm. may recall uh I do. And, it, and it was dreadful and it was horrible and i yield to no one in my hatred of portland and oregon <laughs> and uh um we, uh, I, oh wait, I'm sorry. I got, I got off, uh, what was I saying? I, I uh, you're I, saying you hated Portland? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I remember that part because that's what threw me for everything else. I, I get into that loop, that, that vicious, hateful loop. And, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, uh, I don't know what I was going to say. Anyway, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You, you know, if <laughs> yeah. you remember, holler up. But we got to move on. Yeah, well, yeah. Hey, I got gotcha. you. So I we did you. Zulu as Kono, and then <laughs> and then like ten minutes yeah. of dead airspace. Yes. While I, I'm, this is magical. This is a magical ride. If, if somebody's taking it with us today. <laughs> ah, I remember now. Good the job I had in Portland allowed me to visit Northern California in the late nineties. And it was, you know, I kind of feel, I felt like Tom Wolf 
uh, writing mm. about things that I was seeing around me in the Bay, the Bay Area. Um, mm. It hadn't become what it is now, uh, mm. but it was in the midst of the dot com boom. Um, mm. Wherever your head is, keep it there. You sound as good right now as you have in sixteen minutes twenty four seconds. Oh, okay. Okay. All right, I'll try to move. Yeah, try it. Yeah, just, just <laughs> work your core muscles. Just stay Got right it. there and mobile. So yeah, so like I'm driving down whatever that main road is from San Francisco to San Jose, and there's, you know, there's like these gleaming towers for Oracle and um, Cisco Systems, and there was just and and uh, uh, Mercedes dealerships that you know are bigger than you know, towns, you know, in Iowa, you know, whatever. And uh, um, <laughs> it was just clear that there was something going on. There was like a real generator functioning. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it was good or bad, but I mean, at least everybody knew what they were trying to do, you know, for the most part. A lot yeah, of people... I, I... Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I, I, I felt... I felt like it was a pretty forward-moving place. I always felt like we were on the cusp of something. Not not necessarily that we came up with it, but but we would know about it. Is it my 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 kind of rule of thumb for California? And again, it's going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm I'm serious. It's like we were taught the cliff notes of everything. So it's like <laughs> you can have a conversation with me, and I can jump in, but my level of depth on massive subjects is probably very limited. But I know what you're talking about. That's Southern California. We have you have to know. You have to know what's going on. It's part of what you do. You know, you have to, especially culturally. You know, you you, you want to know. And, and if you're really interested in something, you take you take it from there. But but I just I do think that the idea of knowing what's going on and being at the cusp of something interesting is kind of part of that culture. And I, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss that. I I kind of have to try it i've been doing it on my own but it's not the same you know yeah i'm i'm okay so like in with southern california it was a little bit earlier i think that there was aerospace after world war ii and of course um uh the movie industry right right uh but a lot of really cool things came out of LA um, music uh, gearheads um, mm -hmm. you know uh, you know the, the 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 punk scene well you know maybe right. nothing you'd want your kid getting involved in uh, was nevertheless very robust and, and vital in right. its energy right, right. Um, yeah absolutely absolutely and and I mean my, my my vantage point was I lived in a suburb but I had access to the city, so I could go to the I can go to Hollywood if I wanted to. I, you know, I can go to different parts of LA if I wanted to. I can go wherever, but I didn't live there. And then the, the other part of it that was kind of interesting is the fact that my dad was a prop maker at Universal, so I was around that too growing up. So that was kind of a I was in the middle of of, of a lot of different things. And then the music in industry that was happening at the, the time, it was just, it's all the different variations of what happened on Sunset Strip through the different decades. Yeah. You know, mine probably, my first 
maybe late 70s would be the first one that kind of registered with me, but I was still pretty young. Pretty young. But especially 80s, especially 80s and, 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 and so forth, that was a big deal. That influenced a lot of stuff around, you know, at least around my high school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, well, and I've seen the pictures um, <laughs> of you in high school. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it looked like something out of a Molly Ringwald movie. It's scary. It's scary. I, a friend of mine, she's like, I didn't think high schools actually look like that. Because there's like these huge quad areas where you're sitting on the grass outside at lunch and the cafeteria sells things that, you know, are not typical, you know, and, and just it, it just was it. But when you're living it, when you're living it, it's just normal. It's just, it's just, that's how you perceive things. And so it's funny. It's like, if I have friends that hear this, it's no big, this is probably no big deal to any of them if they came from the same place, because <laughs> they're probably like, well, this is boring. Let's talk about something interesting. Cause to us, that was just normal, you know? <laughs> so I want to go back to something before we move on to, um, one of the things that, that, uh, uh, you know, we we want to talk about music and we want to talk about L.A. Uh, and we sure. want to talk about the Wrecking Crew. Uh, before we do, um, you, you you mentioned being uh, a mile wide in it. Well, you, not, you didn't actually say this, but a mile wide, but an inch deep in, in your subject knowledge. Right. Um, now, right. see, I like I remember. OK, so I went to grade school in Indiana, but then started junior high in Denver and so, like, just learning, I don't know, you learned Indiana history because it was the 70s and, I don't know, um, things hadn't gotten completely out of hand in the in the sense that, well, I, I was spanked for in school for throwing a snowball. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, That explains why. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, like uh, that great Hoosier... Uh, philosopher right. said, "I find authority. Authority always wins." <laughs> that's right. I probably was reasoned with. That's that's the problem. See, that's the difference. As yeah, Chris, if you were on the other end of that snowball, how would it make you feel? That's that's probably <laughs> happened to me. Yeah. I was just going to say here. Here's the thing that I remember as a boy that I think matters. Um, the mm -hmm that like industry and the westward expansion was uh, was done uh, through a network of navigating the rivers. So mm -hmm. the Ohio uh, was the most important highway in the mm -hmm. post-colonial world. Um, and that's why cities like, I don't know, Cincinnati and, and others, um, cropped up. St. Louis was where Lewis and Clark headed out from in like what the early 1800s, 1803, I think, but I could be wrong. Uh, and, uh, you know, those, those flat boats, which you see in like some old Westerns, but I, I mean, I just, I, I guess I'm old enough to know that those flat boats on the rivers back East are how we got to be here now. And I don't know if you got that in Southern California. 
No, but at the same time, I mean, I'll give you an example of what, what we got in Southern California. And this is, being honest, this I, I remember being a senior in high school, and one of the electives that I, I took was psychology. Right. And, 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 and this is examples of homework that I had in that class, right? The, the homework that you'd have is go to a bus stop, sit on the right side of the bus and see if anybody, I'm sorry, sit on the right side of the bench at the bus stop and see if anybody would sit anywhere ne- next to you on that bus stop bench. And then sit in the middle of it and see if anybody would sit next to you. And, and basically the collective findings were if you sat all the way on the right, someone might come and sit all the way on the left. If you sat in the middle, you owned it. Very few people bold enough. So in other words, it's the psychology of, of territorialism and all this. Another one we did was we had, uh, it was with, you I was say it was You already like, learned that with festival seating at many a summer concert series. No, that's true. That's true. Another one was like uh, if you you and another person would go in an elevator and you made sure that you were, you know, clean cut and non-threatening or whatever by people's standards or whatever. And you'd go in the elevator, but face the back wall. <laughs> right. And then your buddy or whoever the other person was, was noting the reactions. It didn't look like you guys came in together. It was noting the reactions and people were so unbelievably uncomfortable that you're facing the back wall. Things like that. And then the last one that I remember from that class, which is the God's honest truth. My teacher, his name was Mr. McQuistian. He said, I got homework for you guys tonight. He goes up to the board. He writes the number 107 on the board. And he says, I want you all to forget that number. And then he erases it. Every kid remembered that number the next day. And it was 107. I was. This was 1989. And I still remember that number, and I don't know why, but that's that's the kind of interesting. I found that kind of thing interesting. So I delve deeply into 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 psychology and into why people do things. And and my dad actually went to school to be a history, te- like a social studies teacher. So I always had a lot of books in the house. So if if I was if I was interested in something, like if something I felt relevant to me, I'd jump in on my own. But the school system wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. that, that that was a, that was your journey you know i mean i don't remember i don't remember that much depth in anything other than things like electives where you had teachers who just were passionate about whatever that elective was you know you know you you could have been faking this whole time about being from southern california until the moment you said that's your journey with that yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's right that's right that's right. All right. Listen, we need um, to we need to uh, take just a moment and uh, show some love to our friends at All in a Dream Comics and Books in my hometown of Denver, Colorado. For over 35 years, All in a Dream has been adding to, uh, to the intellectual and cultural firmament in the Mile High City. All in a Dream has a stunning catalog of Silver Age and Bronze Age comics and uh, has absolutely the best selection of graphic novels I can imagine. I've never seen anybody who has more. Uh, Graphic novels are a good way to get the... uh, They're like uh, the original source materials for the mythology that became the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
Um, But All in a Dream in Denver uh, can be reached on the telephone via 303-333-8616. That's area code 303-333-8616. All in a Dream, comics and books, the loading has begun. Hey, do you know where that you know that where that line comes from? No. Uh, it's uh, Neil Young's "After the Gold Rush." Oh, uh, okay. The proprietor Ray is like the biggest Neil yeah. Young fan I've ever met. In yeah. fact, he and I <laughs> saw Neil Young at Red Rocks one year. But um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, all in a dream, all in a dream. The loading had begun, so. That's that's. I never caught that. Wow. Okay. I'm. I've got it right, right back there, and I. I have to. I'll have to pull that one later and, and listen for it. Uh, a couple of listen. episodes ago, Jared and I were talking about Neil Young, um, or no, Brian and I, and um, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I like. I, I like Neil Young, but I don't love Neil Young, and that's. Okay. That's where I, I understand. I, I have. I have a friend. And I was talking. We were talking about religion, and I asked him, "What was your religion before the religion you're in now?" And he said, "Neil Young." <laughs> <laughs> Dead serious too. So I get it. Yeah, people no, go I, deep on. Him. I don't think I've done anything as consistently in my life as much as I've been a fan of Bruce Springsteen's music. I mean, for, for longer, for a longer period, I've, right. I've been more consistent about other things, but, uh, yeah, that's where it all started for me. But, um, okay. So did, now did you turn me on? Did you recommend that movie about the wrecking crew? I might've, I saw it a while ago, a long time ago. And I think I may have passed it your way. Now, it, you know, it, I, the one you saw is, is that the one that was by the guy's kid? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do yeah. you remember his name, the guitar player who was the? Oh, I don't. I don't. I, I remember. Uh, uh, it's been a while since I've seen that. It's been a while since I've seen that. I just that I was always fascinated by it because they were so they were everywhere and no one knew who they were unless you paid attention. You know. Yeah. Tell us what. Uh, so tell us about the Wrecking Crew. I mean, just your. I mean, did you know who they were growing up? No, no. I, I learned that later. You know, I, I I had no idea, you know, just how deep that went. You know, because I've always, there's another one that talks about uh, standing in the shadows of Motown, where they have a, a, the band there, too, was pretty much on everything. And nobody knows who they are unless you, you really look, you know, Um but I just I'm kind of I love like the behind the scenes music type deal and 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 all that and and that was a great great example of that, you know someone like Carol Kay who played the bass yeah she was this lady that just she just could read the she read the music she played the bass and she's like on Good Vibrations and all these different kinds of things and who knew unless you again unless you and this is pre way pre internet so it's not like you could just look it up you know it's not going to be on the album probably so 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 for those who don't know uh the wrecking crew were studio musicians in southern california in 
from the late 50s into the 60s and beyond but th their main work was really in the 60s into you know the, the very early 70s right let me know if i yeah. am mis for the most part yeah absolutely so um the guy that the movie uh had at its um at its center was tommy tedesco and his son mm -hmm. actually directed this movie that, uh, about the wrecking crew um right and they were just these killer like stone cold killer studio musicians right right uh especially hal blaine my gosh he's a drummer the drummer yeah yeah just rock solid rock solid and you know i mean it, it the if the, the the musical term that sometimes people use about something being in the pocket, okay. nothing was more in the pocket than Hal Blaine. I mean, he just he just nailed it. He was he was, and again, you know, super influential. You know, he started out as a, as a, as a as a teenage jazz drummer, and again, all these people could 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 read. So you just put something in front of them, and they did they do it. But a lot of times they were given the creativity to just just do what you want, and you know that's where the, a lot of the hits came from. You know, is from them doing what they want. So okay, so a couple a couple things about Hal Blaine. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he in the movie he says, "Yeah, I don't really like rock and roll. I'm a jazz drummer, but yeah, you know, rock and roll was what they were recording." And I got paid for it. Yeah, he just was very good at it. I, he was very good at it. I remember I interviewed a drummer named Victor Andrizzo, and he's played with like Beck and Alanis Morissette and people like that. And I, he's one of these guys that is just, is just on different people's albums and goes and tours with different people. But I told him, you're kind of like a Hal Blaine because you're not super, super known, but people have heard you. And he was so touched by that comparison. <laughs> that was the, the most nice thing. And I and, and I was just being honest. I mean, I, I viewed it. And he was very similar in the sense that he was not a superstar, but he played on a lot of people's records. I think he played with uh, Chris Cornell and uh, Depeche Mode, different people. But you know, who would know? You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he took it for the compliment that it was intended to be, and and uh, exactly. wasn't. And you weren't flattering him. No, it's just an honest comparison. Yeah. It's you know, like, it's a perfect example. You're one of the most gifted people that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they recorded, they were the musicians on uh, Herb Alberts, uh, a bunch of those Tijuana Brass albums. Imagine my mm -hmm. surprise to find out that the Tijuana Brass wasn't really a thing. I mean, it was... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, and and uh, a taste of honey, which I still think is just like an awesome song. Uh, right. So, so that drum thing at the beginning was mm -hmm. because nobody knew how to bring everybody in at once, right? Without you know, uh, mm -hmm. okay. For example, Springsteen would go one two three, <laughs> right? But I mean, <laughs> in 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 a taste of honey, it's that you know, there's there's Herb Albert with the horn, and then. Mm -hmm. Is it the bass drum? Boom, 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 ba da 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 Yeah, so I don't, do I have to pay royalties for that? I hope not. You might. I don't have any yeah, money. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. We're living on we'll love see. over here on this side, baby. That's right. <laughs> 
Hey, I got a good I got a good drum intro story. I, have you ever heard of Middle of the Road by the Pretenders? Oh, sure. That's great. Yeah. It has that really intense beginning drum thing at the beginning of the song. Yeah. And what I, Mar- what I heard Martin was that... Martin Chambers, right? Martin Chambers? Yeah, Martin Chambers. I heard that Chrissy Hind wanted to just get something different out of him. And so she asked him to do a fill like 50 times to the point where he just was getting more and more frustrated. And at some point, he just ah, just threw himself into it and started doing it, and that was the take. And she did it on purpose because she, she really wanted him to go to another level, but she didn't tell him that. She just said, no, I don't like, no, do it again. No, do it again. And he's the more frustrated. Now, when you hear the introduction to that song now and you think about it, it's totally obvious. It's totally obvious yeah, that no, you that... can hear his frustration. Yeah, but it's, it works. It works. That totally yeah. tracks. It totally tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have a Martin Chambers story. Nice. So in in Denver, when Mm -hmm. I was a kid, when I was a young man, uh, the best place to see a concert wasn't Red Rocks. It was Mm -hmm. the Rainbow Music Hall. The Rainbow Music Mm -hmm. Hall, which was this like 2,000-seat theater with fantastic acoustics. I saw... Everybody in the I, I mean, every, everybody that wasn't big enough to play Red Rocks played there if they were coming to Denver. Mm-hmm. And I saw so many, you know, uh, bands in the in the eighties there. Now, you know, after so, for example, um, the Pretenders had that terrible stretch where two out of four. Uh, members died, died right? Uh, right, right, right. James Honeyman Scott Honeyman. and Pete Farden. Uh, the Pete Farden. Pete Farden. Right. Yep. Uh, when I forget our anniversary, I'm just going to tell my wife, yeah, but honey, I can name the members of the original pretenders. Yeah, that, that happens a lot here. I can't <laughs> find my way from my son's school back home. But I, but I can tell you who played bass on an obscure Uriah Heap album <laughs> that nobody cares about. <laughs> okay, so uh, so they played uh, the Pretenders played like six sets, working from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Us Festival, and the Us Festival. Oh, I, yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I think I, that was. Yeah, I was. I remember that. That was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be the new Woodstock, and I don't, right. uh, you don't hear people saying, oh yeah, the Us Festival? I was there. They should. The way you do They were awesome. Woodstock. They had like they had like a new wave day and a heavy metal day, and they had pretty much everybody who was everybody on those. I think they had a country day, uh, but go ahead. Well, go Steve, ahead, well, and Steve Wozniak of Apple uh computers uh was behind it was one of the guys who put the money up for that i think that is correct that um is correct okay so so the pretenders played like six dates on the way east or on the way west and one of them was at the rainbow and we were we had great seats i you know i, I don't want to brag and i don't want people to think that i'm just making up a story but right. we were at the stage we were like right there right. like Nice. Uh, um, I, like I, I still remember they had like this. It's the first time I ever saw a set list of like the songs <laughs> they were playing, mm. and and uh, they had written 
or she had written, I guess, Time Avenger. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think the song is Time the Avenger. On, Correct. On, is that right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so the, it's funny the things you remember. Okay. So anyway, mm-hmm. so not not to get like creepy, but from there we kind of like followed them. Well, like we had heard they were staying at the Marriott. So we go to the Marriott and we're like thinking, wow, it'd be really great if we could meet the pretenders. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, uh, we, uh, and by the way, the show was amazing. It was so really? great. Um, mm-hmm. later on, uh, as it turns out, uh, the kinks played big Mac or McNichols sporting arena with a basketball stadium. And uh, the pretenders were the opening act. It was when Chrissy yeah, Hind. I, I think I think she was dating Ray Davies. Yeah, right? yeah, they were. Yeah, dating is. Yeah, that's nice. They were shacked up or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. So, um, and, whatever the kids, whatever the kids call it these days. <laughs> and I had front row seats to that too, and mm. and furthermore, um, the the Kinks were playing, and the Kinks were great. But then I look over to my left. So I say front row, but we're like on the far left side. So Mm -hmm. like we were closer to amplifiers than we were the band. Mm. Um, But I look to my left and there was Chrissy Hines standing next to me with a chick in a dog collar. And um, (laughs) (laughs) the friend I was with, I'm like, I'm like, I'm hitting him. I'm like hitting on his on his arm, and and he he won't like look down, and I'm like he's like he, it's like I'm a little kid and bothering my dad or something. <laughs> Finally, he like he like turns at me, he's like what? <laughs> <laughs> and I point over there, and Chrissy Hind was like way too cool to like make eye contact, but the the chicken the dog collar did, and she's like, yeah, I'm a chicken dog collar, and I'm with Chrissy Hind, and you're not. And she was right. Right. Okay. So back That's to true. back to the Marriott parking lot, where well, before you get into that, you know, you'd think that with with her such a viable, outspoken support of PETA, that she wouldn't have somebody in a dog collar, but you know, dog dog collars are for blondes, not for dogs. <laughs> uh, in fact, maybe Chrissy Hind refers to it as a blonde collar. She probably does. Yeah. She, you know what? I You've turned me around. I take it all back. It's, well, uh, however, I don't want to go around. I don't. Um, I would rather try to make fetch happen than, than blonde collar happen. Yeah. <laughs> in, in today's cultural climate. Okay. So, so back to the Marriott after yeah. the pretender show. So we had gotten uh, uh, Chrissy had like dropped a guitar pick, and one one of my friends that was with me um, picked it up, and you know like so we like we get there and we're in the parking lot and we don't really have the guts to like go into the lobby or anything, so we just like kind of walk around the building, you know, and then we're like, well, why don't we try to call? So like we go to the, the there's a payphone, and uh, I call you know. Call the Marriott. Back th- back then, there were okay things called payphones, 
which were like tele- no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just yeah. I want to bring the kids that's, up. To speed. Yeah, that's how Clark Kent became Superman. He went it, into one. It of those wasn't things. a phone booth. It was. Oh, yeah. Oh, just those little. Okay, I got it. I got it. <laughs> dude, dude, it was a Pretenders concert, not a Jim Croce concert. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, uh, no, there's no one here. Uh, named uh no no one here named chrissy hind and of course we didn't think that they would use uh her real she would use her real name but we didn't know that you know or anything so we called back and we asked for martin chambers and uh the call goes through and i'm nice yeah so i've got martin chambers on the phone or at least a brit who identified himself as martin chambers (laughs) Which, mm-hmm. for the sake of my story and my life, is good enough. Oh, sure. I say, uh, yeah. Um, listen, uh, Martin, uh, a friend of mine got one of uh, Chrissy's guitar picks, and um, you know, we're we're downstairs, and we were, you know, thinking we might, you know, we'd be willing to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, awesome. uh, no, no, that's okay, mate. You can you can keep it. I said, okay, well, so how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And he goes, hey, hey, I just got out of the shower. Uh, I, I can't really talk. I'm like, okay. And then that was it. And by the way, I've, I made the phone call because I had the most audacity. Yeah, that's okay. The audacity. Another is wrong that. That's what I felt. Listen, when we, uh, I don't know if you've ever talked to them about when we used to do eclectic blogs. Mm. But but uh, when we did, every interview that I ever did with anybody was just asking, just doing what you basically just did on the phone, except you know, except now on a computer. And and I'd say at least eighty percent of them said yes. You know, so it, it is basically it's just a question of trying in a lot of cases. Like you know, had you not made the phone call, that wouldn't have happened. You know. Um, so that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat. And and what I find too is that a lot of sidemen, like maybe he's a good example of, of one. You know, she she pretty much grabbed the spotlight. You know. Oh, it was her band of, for sure. Yeah, no, it was. Exactly, I mean, and, exactly. and it's actually it's to her credit that she, the Pretenders were her band. And, and in fact, this guy, the drummer we're talking about, Martin. Wait, Martin what? Chambers. Chambers. I almost called mm-hmm. him Martin Freeman. But that's that's Watson in the new Sherlock. Um, uh, uh, Martin Chambers has been fired a couple times, and she keeps coming back to him. But yeah, she never yeah. she never like made a solo album. She she never went off and did her own thing. She I mean it was always right. the Pretenders, and the other guys just came and worked for her. Yeah, well it's but it's true. Sidemen and women or people that maybe they haven't had a quote-unquote hit in a while but they're still actively playing they adore it when you want to talk when you have legitimate questions and especially if you're like a if you're not a non-crazy legitimate fan of their music they want to talk to you usually i mean if you catch them at the right time yeah. you know and the and the list of the people that we interviewed was became crazy long of all different kinds of genres and it was just a question of asking, Pretty you know, and you and you have the tools at your fingertips now online to do that. You know, sometimes you go through an agent and sometimes you actually can find the email for 
somebody you listen to the entire time you're in high school and they're usually pretty good about it so take those chances like what you did at that time you know if you were if you if you would have told him at that time you were a journalist he probably would have given you an interview right you know? right right fine but what we really were were teenagers who wanted to par- yeah, party good. with Chrissy Hind I mean yeah I got to, I got you. to be I got fair you. I, you, right. you you right. were you were giving attention to uh, journeyman uh, musicians uh, in a professional manner I mean appreciative right. of their work but right for for a, a journalistic endeavor sure in the this was in my late thirties too, so this this wasn't you know I, I don't think I would have done that at seventeen, you know. So I understand what you're saying. No, I well, yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. I, and yeah. So, um, uh, all right. So let's let's take a quick break. Mention mm-hmm. All in a Dream comics and books in Denver, Colorado. Mention the 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 Silver Age, the the Golden Age comics. Uh, these are like the great comics from the 60s and 70s before um, things became uh, all about mutants with uh, mullets and exaggerated anatomy. Uh, there were there were people trying to tell stories and uh, all in a dream comics and books uh, in Denver's got them. Uh, they can be reached at uh, 303-333-8616. Um, uh, also, we've got the uh, we've got uh, 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 unbelievable. It's 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 beyond impressive the the graphic novels uh, that they've got uh, f- for sale. Um, he's not gout, you know. You look up these same, you know. He's asking retail for them, but if you look them up online, this guy's trying to rip your lips off for you know whatever. A, Captain Marvel graphic novel, so I mean they're they're nice, they're hardcover. Um, that way, the women don't necessarily know you're a comic book uh, uh, aficionado, shall we say? And uh, <laughs> uh, All in a Dream Comics and Books is really the best at what they do um, in Denver, Colorado, area code three zero three 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 eight six one six. The loading has begun. So, Chris, a minute ago, you talked about Eclectablogs. Tell us about Eclectablogs. What, what, were you, what, what did you have going there? Well, that was, it was myself and you and a, a handful of other friends that just were passionate about something in the entertainment world. It, it was different for different people. Um, and we would just, we would just write. And, and, it, and I personally really enjoyed uh, reaching out to to musicians and singers and getting their takes on things and just trying to put a spin on different things too. It's like sometimes you you hear music for a very very long time, but you're not really hearing everything. You know, there's a lot going on that can go right past the the average listener, and so we would always like to kind of tap into that. So you're re-listening to stuff you've heard your whole life, but now it's like with fresh ears. So that that's kind of what we used to we used to like to do, at least from my perspective. What I, what I like to contribute was from from the the cultural musical cultural angle. So a few years ago, you hung it up. Yeah, yeah, I, it ran its course. I don't know. I, I you know yeah. I think we're ready for volume two. 
I, I hope well, you, I hope you think about it. It was uh, uh, for one thing, my situation's changed, and I contributed very little in spite of your much appreciated um, kind coaxing. Um, in, by the way, by the way, uh, for my in my contacts for you, I've got um, a picture of Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs in Almost Famous. <laughs> wow. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> because that'll work. you encouraged me yeah. so much to play a part in that, <laughs> and I just I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have the horses. You know. I, I no, mean, I can't get it. Yeah. I totally get it. And I and I am you know I I feel like I feel like more could be done and it's not like it's impossible but I I feel fulfilled with what was done. Okay. You know, and and I'm not going to everything that was on the website that is no more is in print. So okay. if anybody ever wanted they they could they could look it up and get it, but I'm not going to be one of those people that are going to plug their stuff. So you know that's not why I'm on here, but but I that's all 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 of these interviews are available even though the site's down and and everything is is in print. So do you still have uh, digital copies of everything you've written? I do, and they're available on in, in hard in in a hard copy too. So that's right because you you published uh, several several collections, right? Yeah, yeah. There's about seven books out there. Of mostly most of them are interviews divided by genre so there's like there's uh like alternative musicians in one there's like a rock and blues in another one and there's uh kind of like a new wave and reggae artists in another one and just just kind of a i try to split them up so it's an interesting read if you like that genre okay uh eclectic yeah. blogs it well it's under my name chris levine <laughs> It's under Christopher Levine, and it's at lulu.com. Okay. Is lulu.com still a thing? It is. It's a self-publishing site. So if you go in there, you will find all seven of my books. Dude, I am so psyched. You just you just pimped your book on my podcast. I feel so awful. I feel so cheap. <laughs> I, feel, I feel so cheap. This is like good. This isn't Good Morning America or like the Tonight Show. This is this is like people talking about real things. No, this is no. I could have been so much worse. Or my books out there. <laughs> people, people on a book tour are like, you know, I like a guy says, uh, you know, hey Chris, how you doing? Well, as I write in my book, uh, Eclectic Blogs, yeah. Volume Four. Uh, come on, get happy. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, I just, it just, you know what, because people have asked that uh, why I I still am friends with that we're very into the website if we want to continue doing it. And it's like, you know know what, maybe, but we do at least have everything that we did up until the last year in print. Okay. So that's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. Well, look, I can can work you on that off- off uh offline off the air that's fine. sure yeah but um yeah no it uh uh you know between between eclectic blogs the the pacific uh, centuries uh media uh uh the managing expectations web 
podcast podcast yeah that's what they call yeah. it uh you know we could like do a whole a whole you know we could get a whole empire going yeah well i still have the connections uh so you know I, i'll pass them on no problem <laughs> sean, yeah. sean h sean still waiting in the wings no uh, i don't know about that I, I i'm talking about like the uh all the connections that i got uh, online who i met oh, as yeah, a result yeah. the big names and their agents and all their people and you know I, i'm 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 sorry this is going to probably sound very very simplistic people are not used to people being nice to them they're just not <laughs> they're just not and 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 when you talk to somebody and you're a real person and there's nothing in it for you you're not I didn't do this for money you know it, it, they they're great yeah I, I think I have only one or two examples of people that just didn't have time for me but most most of them if they did interviews did it so it was pretty cool see you it was pretty cool you asked me to reach out to Mitch Ryder I'm naming names. I'm mad. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. For uh, it. Yeah. Go yeah. For it. No, it was no big deal. But I, I reached out with some emails and you after you told me how easy it was and uh, yeah. was met with uh, the, the silence of uh, a Mitch Ryder comeback tour. <laughs> they don't, they're not all winners. You know, there's one that I really wish that I got a chance to was uh, Jack Bruce. who was oh, in Crane. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He he agreed to it, and schedule wise, I I I couldn't do it at the time that he could do it, and now he's deceased. Ah man, that's the one that got away for me. I think that a lot of pretty much everybody else that I made plans with, it's just I'm telling you, especially people who were kind of revered decades ago, right? But they're still hugely influential now. They 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 really really like that you know their stuff especially when you really do you know when you say hey you know you played bass on this song and the tone sounded way different than it did on the rest of the album was that on purpose they eat that up because it's real yeah they're like somebody noticed that and and he wasn't alive at the time that i made this recording you know and it means a lot yeah and they 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 recognize that you're not a journalist working off of uh, publicist talking points, right? Exactly, exactly. I didn't, you know, and 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 basically the rule of thumb was, I only interview people who I actually like. Yeah. So there was no pressure for me to interview. Like I, I had an agent for, oh gosh, who was it? It was a, uh, Exine Cervenka's agent, from X. <laughs> yeah. And she, she said, hey, after this, do you want to interview somebody who I won't name? And I didn't want to. I just, because I didn't, I didn't, not no disrespect, but it wasn't my thing. Yeah. So, so and it, I'm not, there's a lot of freedom when you do it on your own. You know, you can do whatever you want when you do it on your own. You know, yeah. there was no, no publisher, publisher holding a gun to my head saying, no, 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 you got to do it. You don't have to do anything if it's your if it's your baby, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, so I w I was an X fan, saw X, I think at the Rainbow. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Bill saw him with Billy Zoom, uh, saw him with mm -hmm. Dave Alvin, which seems oh, cooler. Wow. 
Blasters? Yeah. Uh, so I guess I, I guess I saw him a couple times because I don't think that uh, I think Dave Alvin left the Blasters and stepped in and played with X for a tour mm -hmm. or two. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Oh, in fact, it's a Dave Alvin song, Fourth of July, uh, that John Doe sings. It's terrific, but Dave Alvin's oh. version is great too. Anyway, nice. uh, Xene was friends with a chick named Lydia Lunch. Yeah, she's out there. Um, I, I brought home there. a Lydia Lunch album, <laughs> and it mm -hmm. it scared me so bad I got rid of it. I mean, I, got rid of, I mean, this is like me when I'm like 18 in high school and stuff, right. and like I don't know anything except you know what? This is a bridge too far. I'm not. Right. I'm not. I, I will go to Xene. I will not go to Lydia Lunch. <laughs> But you know what? That's that's one in the wind column for her. That's probably what she wants the expectation. In. You know, she wants you to feel that way. So she she delivered in what she what she was putting out there. You know. Well, if 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 if, uh, if what she wanted was to horrify the bourgeoisie, she's got scoreboard. I think she did. I bet you she did. You know. This is not your father's Oldsmobile, right? No, this is, yeah. No, so, all right. So that's, uh, we're up against, we're not, we're, we're up against a hard out. I've got, uh, you know, we've both got things to do and um, some of them are more important than others. Um, but Chris Levine, this has been an awesome conversation. It's probably because we don't see, eat, we don't talk as much as I'd like, uh, but... Mm -hmm. Um, well, I hope you'll I hope you'll come back. I would love to. This was a lot of fun, and we got a lot of things we can still talk about. Okay, all right. Um, well, yeah. When one of the things we can talk about is your new microphone. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I invest in one, yeah that <laughs> that that's that's probably that's that'll be a, a major talking point. Wow! 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 I, am I sound? Do I sound like Charlie Brown's mother? <laughs> Teacher, every adult in the Charlie yeah. Brown special. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hope not. We we've we've uh, we've invested an hour or two in this, so I really <laughs> hope you're coming across good enough. You know. Which, I hope so. Which is the whole point of managing expectations? You know what? It's good enough. <laughs> That's right. It's pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. <laughs> That's it. All right. That's it. So uh, with me with me for this uh, episode's been Chris Levine, uh, formerly the magnate of Eclectic Blogs, the creative force behind Eclectic Blogs, and uh, uh, currently working on some some uh, other business interests in uh, Arlington, Texas. Uh, Chris, thanks very very much for being on uh, Managing Expectations. My pleasure. All right. That's it for uh, this show, everybody. Let's go to work.